0: Bye. <laughs> Bye. Welcome all, this is The Life of Brian, I'm Harrison Taylor, I'm Brian's son Why are you
1: here anyway?
0: What, honestly, what is this? What's going on I, here? I don't
1: know, we, we decided to do a podcast, somehow I've got you involved as my son And you are going to have a very limited role, let me tell you, your role is going to be uh, almost uh, non-existent You'll speak when I tell you to speak a background operator Have we got a sponsor at all? Who's our sponsor? Yes, we are We are The
0: Life of Brian, we're brought to you by grim uh mm. Grimleys are the number one source for fasteners and construction supplies.
1: And they they the number one thing that Grimleys do is they deliver not daily, hourly. So if you put an order in, bang, it's going to be there within a couple of hours. They supply the whole construction industry. As this show goes on, you'll learn more about Grimley's out there in Fairfield. So we thank them for their support as we go forward. They're a great company. Get all your construction needs there. Now, what are we talking about today? What What's this show all about?
0: Yeah, just before we get started, I want to hear about why you want to have a podcast and why oh, you want to yeah. do this show.
1: The, the, probably the reason that I've been holding back on doing a podcast is because all of the platforms that I'm currently on, whether it be calling the footy on Channel 7 or calling the footy on Triple M, I'm a, I'm a commentator. I call the footy. That's what I do. It's not a platform for all of my ideas on footy or my views on footy. It's a platform to call the footy. And so this this what's it called? What's the title of the show? Life of Brian. This is the um, this is the show where I get to actually tell you about my opinions on certain things, whether it be a family holiday that we've been on, whether it be a football situation, whether it be news. And I know the Logies comes to mind uh, straight away. The other night, it's just my my opinions, my views on uh, on what's happening in the world of of um, in the world of life.
0: So just a bit of me
1: time. Not just the world of sport. It's me time. This is, a, this is you all deserve about it.
0: me. Yeah, you deserve it. All right. Well, with that being said, let's jump into something that's happened recently. Oh. Um, you've got a bit of a story from the Logies.
1: Well, I haven't really got a bit of a story, but I just think the stuff, uh, for people that don't know, what happened at the Logies the other night, There's a little story about me being quite grumpy and upset and, uh, and not happy about the way it all went. That is a load of crap, a load of garbage. I had the best night. So well, to go there, I go there because of that. I've been two years in a row now to the Logies, to watch these people and how they behave. And you're there on the behalf of Channel 7, of I'm there of on behalf of Channel 7, of course. Uh, you know, we were nominated this year for the AFL Grand Final last year. But I watch these people and how they behave. And boy, were there some people that are high profile behaving very, very poorly. You would be shocked at what I've seen. So look, there was this one particular issue that I had. People said that I you know, uh, was upset and all that, as I said before – But what happened was, um, you know, we're sitting very close together, we're tightly packed into the room, not a lot of room, the poor old waiters coming through with about 12 glasses of freshly poured champagne still uh, bubbling as as he was bringing it out and he spilled all 12 glasses over me. Not one glass, not two glasses, but a dozen glasses of champagne. So effectively two bottles of champagne were poured over my suit before the night even got underway. But was Brian perturbed? No, he took it in his stride, brushed it off with a napkin, didn't complain, had a smile on my face, because I was sitting with all the other girls from Seven, from various sports, etc. and the boss of football, Gary O'Keefe, as well at Channel 7, sitting with all those people. No, and, and Gary helped me brush it off and tidy it up, and everything was good, and we're all smiling. And then I got come uh, in a conversation with a guy whose chair at the back of me was butting up against me. And um, I turned around, and we're giggling and laughing about how tight it was, and uh, I said, what do you do, mate? And he said, oh, I've got a business, you know, we operate all around the world. And I think, oh, gee, that's a pretty big business. Businessman, and he said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Oh, you know, I was a footballer, and you know, do bits and pieces involved in the in the footballing industry." And he said, "What were you? A player?" And I said, "Yeah, yeah, I was a player." And and he and I could and you know and th- then there'd be a moment where he'd go and talk to his own table, and then he'd come back and say something else. And I could see him stewing over the fact, and and I th- he thought I was Lee Matthews, right? So he's texting his mate in Melbourne, saying, well, "I'm sitting next to Lee Matthews." the greatest football of what we're talking about football. And uh, he's texting and his mate's going, has he still got the moustache? And he's saying, yeah, yeah, still got the moustache. He said, send me a photo of this guy, and uh, Lee Matthews. And so he sends him a photo back to Melbourne. And, and of course, when when the photo arrived to his footballing nut mate in Melbourne, he realised it wasn't Lee Matthews. In fact, it was it was me. And so he was a little disappointed that he hadn't met uh, the all-time great uh, there as well. But the other, the other part of that story is, I'm asking him who he is, and he told me he's a businessman that travels the world. Who is he? Uh, he, he is the blue wiggle. The and because I didn't turn around and look at him fully, I was just sort of half turned around. Perhaps I wouldn't have recognised anyone, but he was the most prominent wiggle of them yeah,
0: all. We weren't and, that big into the wiggles, no, were we, and, as a family?
1: No, I didn't know who he was at all. So it was just a little thing. And all the bullshit that's gone uh, along with it, the you know, associated crap that's gone along with it, saying that I was unhappy and I was offended because he didn't know, couldn't be further from the truth. We spent the whole night laughing and giggling. About not knowing who each other was, and so now you know
0: who who the blue now wiggle I know is. who the blue wiggle and is. Just to um, ram the point home, what is the blue wiggle's
1: real name? I, I, I'm, I'm not you sure. Still don't know. Is it <laughs> yeah. Simon? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. Anthony. Anthony. Anthony Phillips, I think it is, isn't it? Or Anthony someone. Uh, Anthony Field. I don't know. Yeah. One one of those. The Blue Wiggle. But the Blue Wiggle. That's yeah. what I know him as, the Blue Wiggle. And he's a very famous man, famous uh, all around the world, and uh, he's, uh, he's had a great act for many years. Well, there it is, from the horse's mouth. Not yeah. as grumpy as the no. papers make it out. But can I be grumpy?
0: Yeah. You're allowed to be grumpy, just not in public.
1: Yep. Okay. All right. What are we What are we talking about now?
0: Yes. So as you said, each week we're going to talk about um, a few behind the scenes things. Oh, what yes. your life is like as a broadcaster. <laughs> I'd love to hear about the origins of your great segment on Channel 7, Roaming
1: Brian. Well, look, it's not my great segment. I do it, but it's Channel 7's great segment. And it, it is an interesting thing because a lot of people ask me about how it, um, you know, ha- how it came about. I guess the simplest story associated with the, with the roaming stuff is there's a guy by the name of Martin Brundle who, who covers um, Formula One for Sky. Um, over in the UK, and he does this thing called the Grid Walk, where before each Grand Prix, he goes out in the grid and he walks down the grid interviewing all of these uh, different people. Um, and so, myself and Joel Stasvich, who was my producer at the time at Channel Seven, had got together, and we were we were looking for something different. And I think we both suggested, and I said, "Do you know Martin Brundle?" He said, "I know exactly what you're going to say. Good idea, because Martin Brundle would walk up and down, you know, be at Monaco and the Grand Prix be about to start." minutes before he'd be on the grid and there'd be a thousand people on the grid having a look at the cars and you know uh, Tom Cruise would be there and he'd walk up to Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise's bodyguard would put an arm across Martin and say no he's not available for interview even though Tom probably wanted to do the interview then he'd walk over to the head of Ferrari and you know start talking to him and realize he couldn't speak English and then he'd pick up an interview with a driver who was dashing uh, forward to get ready for the national anthem of the country where they were at at the particular time anyway go through the whole grid and, you know, he got a couple of interviews, but really basically everyone was too busy to be able to be spoken to at the particular time. And I'm thinking, so if he hasn't got many interviews, w- why am I still watching this? W- what is attracting me to watch Martin Brundle on his grid walk? And I realised it's not about the personalities that he interviews or doesn't interview, it's about... The pictures. It's about seeing behind Martin Brundle and what's happening. You know, uh, seeing conversations between Christian Horner of Red Bull going on with Max Verstappen and he's pointing the finger at him. Um, you know, you go, oh gee, I wonder what they're talking about. Or you see Tom Cruise over in the back there, you know, talking to one of his minders or talking to one of the drivers, and you go, gee, I'd love to be involved in that conversation. So that's what. Martin Bundle's grid walk segment is all about. It's about the pitches. And so we thought, what's missing in football? Because what normally happens in a game of football, when the game finishes, you go down into the rooms and there's an advertising sort of background, a backdrop, and a player stands in front of that with a person from the network that's covering it, in our case Channel Seven, and you do a one-on-one interview, and you know I don't want to say it's boring, but over time it can be boring because you see so many of the same thing. So we thought, well, what can we do? And 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 Joel Starsevich and myself came up with this particular idea, and we had to talk the network into letting us do it because remember, there is no delay button. There's no uh, button you can hit to get rid of anyone that says anything wrong. If you are live down in the rooms for fifteen to twenty minutes minutes, there is no help for you. If you say the wrong thing you cooked, if someone comes up and swears, if you shoot someone uh, that hasn't got their clothes on, you'd be in trouble for that as well. There's a whole host of broadcasting restrictions that you're you're right on the edge of. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we had to convince the network that that was the way to go. Once once we did convince them, we had their full support, and they were right behind it. So um, off we went, and, and we do this segment which uh, goes, as I say, fifteen to twenty minutes. And uh, I don't know what, what else did you want to know about it? Yeah, in terms of this—that's spe- the idea.
0: Yeah, the specifics of what goes, the planning that goes into it. Like, are you speaking to the clubs beforehand, and also when you're actually in the moment, is there someone in your ear because you're very good at recognising each and every person at that club? You know them by first name and last name. What goes on in terms of the preparation? of Roaming Brian.
1: Yeah, so the preparation, we always meet with the clubs before the game, late in the afternoon, 4.30, 5 o'clock before anyone's even arrived. We go down to the rooms, we meet with the media people that are associated with the club and we have a bit, bit of a look of the lay of the land, see what the rooms are like. They tell us where we can go, where we can't go. Um, but they, they might give us an idea. It's rare. Sometimes they might say, look, don't go to such and such a player after the game because it, we, we don't want him to talk or he doesn't want to talk. So uh, they give us the lowdown on what's going on there and we follow that, but they'll also say, on the other hand, go and talk to, um, uh, you know, go and talk to Scott Pendlebury. Uh, he's just opened a new coffee shop in Brighton. He wants to talk about it, or go and talk to this person over here. He's a club sponsor and he wants to get a plug for his business. So there's a lot of people that they encourage you to go and talk to. It doesn't mean you have to. So that's how it happens. In terms of the help that we get through it, there's 100 people queued up behind this that are helping me do it. You know, it's whether it's the cameraman filming, whether it's the guy with the cable that's wandering through the massive people that are in the rooms and trying to get down corridors, he's got a cable, whether it's the guy holding the screen so you can see what's on the screen, whether it's the lighting guy, whether it's the directors and producers in the truck. And yes, they do. I do have an earpiece and they can tell me anything they want to. They might say to me, Brian, just over your left shoulder is Simon Goodwin and he's having a chat to his family. Go and have a chat to them and so off you go. So you get a lot of help from the entire team at Channel 7. You could not do this if you didn't have this entire team behind you. Uh, I couldn't do it by myself. I mean, you might think I know everyone in the rooms and you just mentioned that, but in actual fact, when I'm walking up to people, I'm sometimes not sure who they are And it's only through the contact with my producer in the truck who will say to me, Brian, that is such-and-such. He's off that show on, you know, whatever channel it is or he's from that movie or that's the basketballer uh, from the NBA that plays with such-and-such. And And in
0: terms of the players, you're always calling them in the game by their last names,
1: yeah, and that's and that's probably the most difficult thing for me because um, as a commentator, it is uh, Brown gets the ball off here and gets it over the top to Nan Curvis and Nan Curvis gets the ball down, it's always it's always surnames and you never call their Christian names or well, rarely do you call their Christian names until you go down the rooms after the game and all of a sudden I'm going up to interview you. Your name's Harrison, of course, and Harrison Taylor. I can't say hey Taylor, tell us about this. I've got to say hey Harrison. So. A lot of these guys, I don't necessarily know their Christian names, so that's where the producer comes in really handy. Or I I can take a, a card. I've often got a card with me with all of their Christian names on it, so I can identify that. But I have actually I, I have been through interviews. There are a couple of interviews I've been through in the roaming segment where I have actually interviewed the person not knowing who he was, who he actually was and I've just bluffed my way through the interview uh, to the point where he thinks I know who he is, he thinks I know what he's done, but I I have absolutely no idea. And you can also embarrass players, which is... Not what I set out to do at all. I remember interviewing after a St Kilda win once. There was David Armitage was playing, or hadn't played in this particular game because he had a hamstring. And I remember going up. He was dressed in a suit and tie, beautiful St Kilda tie. And he had three other gentlemen standing next to him in suits and ties. I said, David, how are you right for next week, mate, the hamstring? You're going to, yeah, yeah, I'm right for next week. And he said, I've had a great night tonight watching the game with all my mates here. I said, well, introduce us to your mates. And there was just crickets. There was nothing. I'm thinking... He doesn't know their names. And he didn't know their names. They were directors of the St Kilda Football Club, but he wasn't quite sure who they, what their names were actually uh, were. So uh, I didn't mean to embarrass him. I just assumed that he would know. So there's a lot of pitfalls um, associated with the roaming. It is the most stressful 15 minutes of what I do in the whole media for the week uh, when I've got to go down and do that. Because I know not only am I risking embarrassing the people around me, but I'm risking embarrassing myself as well and what do you ask a player when at the end of the game when he's played and they've won you know what gee you played well today mate congratulations gee the back line was good today you know there's only so many questions you can ask and I'm I'm often left floundering wondering what I can ask all of these players, particularly when you go down and do them week after week after week. It all seems a bit mundane, but uh, the clubs are starting to respond. It is amazing how many clubs don't want to do this segment. They feel that they would rather have their players informed. So um, player one, you're going over to there. Player two, you're doing that radio interview over there. Be careful. They might ask you this, this, and this. And by the way, your answer should be this, this, and this. Whereas this segment... They don't get the opportunity to go football and brief clubs, the as we players. know, are
0: very structured. Yes. There's schedules, you know, yep. training at this time, doing that the time. Yep. So there's a lot lot of structure. So when you throw in a vicious, unpredictable person like yourself into <laughs> uh into a
1: post game I'm not vicious. No in- <laughs> nah. saying that. But so yeah, it, it is a it is a very, very tricky environment for the players and officials, and myself. We're both feeling a little bit uneasy about it. But I think that's what that if people are hanging on to watch this, I think that's why. Because you know they're all looking for the next, they're all looking for the mistake, they're all waiting for the uncomfortable moment to to arise. And I would say without doubt, there's always one or two uncomfortable moments in in every in every roaming that I do.
0: But it's to reiterate, it's all about the pitches, isn't it? Not. It's
1: all about the pitches too. To see me interviewing, um, you know, wh- whoever it is, but in the background watching conversations going on, seeing, say, Nathan Buckley talking to one of his staff in, a, in an animated way or, um, you know, seeing Simon Goodwin chatting to Alan Richardson in the corner about, Gee, I'm not, you know, whatever it is, you're, you're deciding in your mind – What they're talking about and you're not really even listening to the interview that i'm doing with a particular player and that's why we want movement rather than standing in front of that advertising backdrop we want to walk around the rooms show people what the environment looks like perhaps even leave the rooms and go into the press conference area for the coaches perhaps even go back out onto the oval perhaps even go to the car park where the players park or show the fans outside or jump in it's about showing all different angles so people get a real feel of what's going on down there.
0: And so just to wrap this up and maybe get an insight into the way you operate, there's this big crescendo of Roman Bryan. Often it's late at night, you know, 11 o'clock, 11.30. Yeah, I wonder
1: whether anyone's watching at all, but yeah.
0: There are a lot, lots of people watching. You wrap up, what happens next? You drive the two hours down to Lawn, you sit in silence, or do you listen to the radio? What do you do?
1: I leave the rooms immediately. Within one minute, I'm back up in the commentary box getting dressed, thinking to myself, what have I stuffed up? down there. What have I said that was wrong? What has the player said that was wrong? Was it ordinary of me to embarrass that particular player into doing an interview? I'm thinking about all of the things that could possibly go wrong. But I would say within three or four minutes, I have left the ground. I am changed. I walk back into the commentary box. Normally Brayshaw and Richardson and Hodge are still on air on their on their panel show, um, looking rather dejected because I'm getting to go and that they have to stay. There's absolute silence when I walk in because they're normally on air. So got to be a little bit careful. But yeah, I, I've probably left the ground within five minutes. Within 10 minutes, I would be home in my unit in Fitzroy. I would be home watching them on TV who I left 10 minutes ago. I completely uh, I completely disconnect at this stage. And you
0: can't go straight to sleep. You're up for no. another hour. So I'll go for a walk down. when I get
1: home from a game of football. Remember, you're you wound up like a two-bob watch. Mm. You You've especially. Just- You've just seen this most magnificent game that someone's won by one point and you've got headaches because you've been yelling all night, yelling and screaming and carrying on like a two-bob watch. So to unwind, I just go for a walk down Brunswick Street. It'd be midnight. could be 1 a.m. in the morning by the time I get home and just, just unwind. It's really hard to go to sleep straight away because you're at fee- at fever pitch level. That's for sure.
0: Beautiful. Well, to segue into something Have else. Have you ever
1: been down and watched, by the way? Watched what? The roaming stuff. Have yeah, I've,
0: I've been there. I've okay. unfortunately been a um, oh, well, you a were, victim. You were a victim, were you? Yeah, a victim, yeah. Uh, anyway, it's, a, look, it's a good interview?
1: segment. And uh, Channel 7 are to be, credi- uh, to be credited with being innovative and throwing as many people behind it as they do to actually make it work and make it viable. It's half time in this episode of Life of Brian, so I'd like to take this opportunity to talk about our great friends at Grimley's, the number one source for fasteners and construction supplies in Melbourne. If you're on a construction site and need a product urgently, then you can count on Grimley's drivers and fleet of trucks to get it to you on time, every time, and best of all, with no delivery fee. Grimley's has been in the game for more than 30 years earning a reputation built on premium service, industry knowledge, the best source fasteners and construction supplies, and whatever it takes uh, to get it done. Whether it's a large commercial job or a small domestic job, hardworking tradies need the right products at the right time. Grimley's goes above and beyond to deliver this. So go to grimley's.com.au for delivery that you can count on.
0: Well, onto something a little bit more personal. We want to try and tell a story that promotes the personality of you away from the camera and the spotlight. We went on a family trip to New York in, I think it was 2008. So why
1: are we discussing family matters on here? You told me this is going to be purely football and other interesting people that we're going to interview from time to time. I know we've got an interview in our second episode coming up next week, Shane Jacobson, who will be fantastic, the actor. You told me this wasn't going to be about because you are personal a, stories.
0: You're a bit of a weirdo and you've got... a great knack for storytelling, so we want to hear about these weird stories that no one would expect from oh, you.
1: So what do you want me to talk about?
0: I want to hear the story about Tanya Taylor in New York um, and My your wife. good your good friend, Rod Cutler.
1: Rod Cutler. No, Now, very few people in Australia would know who Rod Cutler is. Do you know who Rod Cutler is?
0: I do because yeah. I
1: know him. Rod Cutler was a guy that I coached at the Paran Footy Club at the end of my career. He was a guy that was on the border. He was a bit like Sam Pang, on the border of the reserves and the seniors. You know, he'd he'd play a few games. Plotter. At each level. He was a bit of a plotter. Back pocket plotter. Uh, Pangy was, and so was Rot Cutler. So he wasn't a great footballer, but he was a competent footballer. To play at VFL level, first or second, you have to be a pretty good player. And he left very early. Like, I think he, when I coached him, he might have been 26, 27. He was a hairdresser in South Yarra. Pretty good one, from what I understand. Then all of a sudden, he left, and I, I hadn't heard or seen of him for about 10 years. Anyway, we went to New York as a family. You guys all come along. I've got four boys and they all come along with my wife and my sister from uh, Perth and her couple of boys came along as well. The Mandra crew. The Mandra crew from WA. And we went to New York and uh, one of my mates said, oh, you, you know that Rod Cutler's over in New York, New York, he's the world's number one hairdresser. He is the best hairdresser in the world. I said, what, Rod Cutler that played in the back pocket? I said, he can't be the best hairdresser in the world. He said, well, he's on Oprah Winfrey doing Oprah's hair. Whenever there's one of the supermodel bloody things for lingerie, he's there doing the hair. All of the superstars in the world, particularly in New York, all want to go down to Soho to Rod Cutler's uh, salon down there and have their hair cut by Rod Cutler or one of his many, many helpers down there. So we're in New York in this particular time. I thought, oh, well, you know, Rod's over there. I coached him. I'll give him a ring and see if he can cut my hair. I need a haircut. I want to go down to Soho, have a bit of a look around. I believe it's the Turak of of New York. So I, I rang him up. He said, yeah, yeah, come in for a haircut. Look, I'll uh, slide you in here and uh, have g- give you a bit of a look at the place. So we go down to Soho and it's in a very – very nice street in Soho. and Tanya's very excited. Tanya's excited. She's uh, she's come along as my uh, wife and um, the kids are all in track. Anyway, I arrive at this uh, hairdressing salon, you know, massive uh, sort of gold-plated door as you're walking, sparkling and sh- shimmering in the sun. And uh, you open this massive door, which would have had to have been about 12 foot high and 6 foot wide, and the door opens and you walk in and all of a sudden there's this flurry of activity. There's about 50 of these stalls which in a normal hairdresser, as you can imagine being about one metre wide, these stalls were like a bedroom. There was basically that- it's a booth. It was like your own little bedroom but cut off at about four or five foot high so you could see over them and see everyone that was there. And um, Rod said to me, yeah, I'll be uh, – Brian, I'll do your hair. First of all, go with this lady. She'll show, show you what happens. And she takes you off to this other personal room that you get and there's, there's um, you know, bl- uh, bl- not blinds, curtains and that all around. And she says, you know, you've got to remove your clothes and put these pyjamas on. and some you know, Egyptian
0: cotton. Like some- a
1: suit sort of uh, velvet sort of suit thing, the onesie. Sort of, you know, you put these uh, and they dress you and, and and the whole thing, and they give you a bit of a rub on the shoulders, and you get <laughs> you get allocated a particular person, male or female, and they sort of um, they look after you and they uh, give you a little toe massage while you're waiting or whatever you want. You could get Who, in. who's at this salon? What do you mean? Hang on. So then you walk back out you, from being almost undressed for a haircut. Why are you being undressed? And you walk back into the main salon, part and they say you're in uh, that cubicle over there or that bedroom over there is the size of them. He said, but uh, Rod Cutler. Said, to me, but before you sit down, Brian, I want to take you around and, and introduce you to a few of the people that um, I cut the hair for. And the place was buzzing. It was packed. He took me up to this guy and he said, Brian, this is um, AJ Foyt from uh, NASCAR fame. And I, you know, AJ Foyt, one of the greatest racing drivers in NASCAR. He's like folklore in the US. He's like one of the biggest motor racing stars in the world. Every motor racing fan has heard of the great AJ Ford. You know, he's there and uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then moved on to the next cubicle and there's this guy there by the name. He said, Brian, do you know Richard? I said, Richard who? He said, this is Richard Butler. And the name, it definitely rung a bell. He was an older guy, maybe late 70s, and it definitely run a bell, Richard Butler. He said Richard Butler was the guy that the US government sent into Iraq to inspect Iraq for weapons of mass destruction. You wouldn't remember this as a kid, but the US was allowed to go in and find any weapons of mass destruction. They never found any in the end, but he was the guy that was sent in with a team to, and it gave me his card, and it said, uh, weapons inspector, and I've never had a card off any business person that's weapons inspector, anyway. Richard Butler, and so you shake hands with Richard. He says, "Ah, oh, yeah, come around for a coffee, blah blah blah." And then we go around the corner, and there's this, you know, young girl there, and she's got her hair up, and you know, she's looking pretty good and pretty young and vibrant. And he says, "Brian, do you know who this?" I said, "No, I, you know." He he said, "Oh, some singer. What was her name again?" Lord. Lord. That's right, Brian. This is Lord. And I'm thinking, God, Lord, have a look at this. Uh, you know what? Who's Who's Lord? Uh, Lord was one of the biggest singers in the world at the time. I think yeah,
0: this was yeah, 2013. She had just released her debut album. She was the biggest biggest thing in music at the time.
1: Anyway, Brian, here's Lord, and I'm going good, uh, fantastic. And then you, you go around, and you meet all of these famous names. You know, everyone was someone because in New York, that's what it's like. There was no one that was having their hair done at that particular time. There would have been 30 people in stalls that wasn't someone of importance or or some significance. And so you meet them all and then he gives you a bit of a trim and and um, and I, all I'm thinking to myself is, how much is this going to cost me? I'm thinking, I, I've got in my mind actually about a thousand. I'm thinking, I've just had a haircut. I'm thinking a thousand. Now, a normal haircut for me in Melbourne would be 50 bucks, something like that, maybe even a bit cheaper. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking to myself, he's going to hit me for a thousand. Tanya's sort of sitting over in the, um, in the personal waiting room. You get a personal waiting room and it's got everything in there and um, she's. Uh, I look over and she, she's getting a massage on her calves. I don't know how that happened, but she was. <laughs> um, it was quite weird in a hairdressing salon. But uh, yeah, so I'm thinking a thousand. Anyway, he said, "No, nah, mate, it's on me," and, yeah. I, and the, the relief was fantastic. He said, "But I will tell you what, Brian," he said, "It's my wife's. I can't remember if it was her fortieth or fiftieth birthday. One of those. I recognise her fortieth. 40th. Her fortieth. 40th. Uh, his his wife, by the way, was is a marketing guru. In fact, she was on the cover of Time magazine." as the marketing guru of the year. She was big herself. He said, it's my wife's 40th tonight. Would you like to come? And, I, and I'm thinking, in New York, Rod Cutler, all these famous people, it's his wife, Time Magazine. It would be some sort of party, wouldn't it? If, oh, I, went a story. A, if I went along. So I said to him, look, man, I've got my wife with me. I've got my four boys with me. I've got my sister, her husband, and they're two kids. So what's that? A package of six. Yeah. Uh, so
0: can I bring six, eight about, package about of eight. eight eight plus ones to the party of your wife, who I've yeah. never met? So that's And I haven't seen you in 20 years.
1: Yeah, that's right. I haven't seen you in 20 years and, uh, you know, the wife I've never met. um, But can I bring eight people (laughs) to this exclusive, uh, you know, downtown New York hierarchy party? And he uh, he said, yeah, no problems at all. Bring them all along. And so all of a sudden, because we've been traveling over there and we're just in a pair of jeans and thongs and shirts and it was snowing, so we had coats as well. But all of a sudden Tanya's in a panic because now she – I've said, yes, we'll come along. It's tonight. It's at this ritzy – um, private hotel, boutique hotel. It's up on the top floor. If I had three floors for the whole night, it's going to be magnificent. So Tanya's all of a sudden going, good, I've got no clothes. So down to Fifth Avenue, she went into Saks and and she bought the Prada boots, you know, yep. that come up to your undies basically, yep. um, you know, really high. Uh, she bought a leather coat, and I'm thinking, geez, this party's costing me a fortune. And I've just gone in a pair of jeans and a, and a, and a polo, not looking all that uh, spectacular. But my wife did. She looked absolutely fantastic. So we all go along. It's snowing. Um, these This massive limo picked us all up in one go. So it must have been big because we've got eight in there. And there's no one on the streets of New York because that's heavy snow and the cars ploughing through. We pull up out the front and before we even could open the door, about 15 security people came from everywhere and opened the doors to let us out. And we all get out and they've sort of ushering us in uh, very quickly as if we're big superstars. Of course, we were the only ones there that weren't anybody. And um, up to the uh, top floor, we go to the party and, In we go, and there's Rod, and Rod says, "G'day, Brian," and uh, introduces me to his wife. That's all going uh, swellingly, uh, swimmingly, and um, and uh, you know, uh, and and before you knew it, everyone had settled in. Tanya's drinking the wine, um, which I could tell was expensive, but I could just tell she didn't like it. She's very picky. She's very picky on a wine. She likes a bit of a rosé or pinot gris, Um, and I think she might have got a Chardy or a riesling or something like that, and she wasn't that happy with it. But anyway, she had to put up with it because what, what choice did we? have. And in the meantime, you'd gone off and I saw you sitting over there and I'm thinking I wonder if Harrison knows who he is speaking to uh, at this particular time. So uh, I go over for a wander, and you're speaking to the to the husband of the star. The star was?
0: Gloria Estefan. Gloria
1: Estefan is standing there, and you're speaking uh, with the husband. You didn't know who Gloria was. You didn't know that this was the husband of Gloria, and you're speaking to them. And so I'm watching you. My other son is over there speaking to the uh, CEO of the Bank of England. Of the world. Uh, Of the world. The the World Bank. He's over there. And I said, you you know who you're speaking to? He's the CEO of the World Bank. Um, And then, you know, uh, AJ Foyt's sitting in the corner there and uh, and Tanya's having a bit of a chat with old AJ. And Lord's over there speaking to Jesse, the youngest of my four boys. And he knew who Lord was. So I could tell he was completely overwhelmed about the whole thing. And then the speeches came on. And I'm thinking, oh, this will be interesting. We'll just sit up the back and, you know, he'll speak about all the people in the room and his family and how good his wife is, given the fact it was her 40th. And he spent... The first ten minutes of the speech, speaking about us, the family from Australia. Thinking, mate, it's your wife's fortieth. Start speaking about her, for Christ's sake. <clears throat> but he said, oh, look on, um, look on, uh, on socials, you know, on bloody where was it, uh, TikTok or one of those things? Google, Google, uh, you know, <laughs> Google. <laughs> You'll see, blah, blah blah blah. Anyway, it was really embarrassing. And the night progressed, and there's all these superstars there. I tell you, the whole world was there. It was just absolutely yeah. the most amazing night. Uh, Rod Cutler and his wife were superb hosts. It was the party of all parties. It was simply superb. Our heads were spinning. Our it was heads cool. were spinning. Every time we turned around, we knew someone else. And the end of the night is coming. Tanya's looking a little shaky in her a, in a rather high-heeled, uh, long leather boots and leather coat. She's gone a bit quiet. <laughs> she's we're- gone quiet, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I won't say she's gone sour, but she's definitely um, not feeling herself. And anyway, Rod said, look, um, I know this is the party, but we've now got... Another party down one floor. It is the most unbelievable apartment—the um, penthouse party. Yeah, but we are only inviting a certain amount of people. I said, "Well, Rod, we've got—I've uh, got eight people with me. You know, we've got to fit eight. He said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys go down first before anyone else gets there, and then we, we'll all meet you down there." So the the Taylor family all go downstairs, and we walk into this apartment. Wow! Blow your socks off. If it wasn't worth thirty million dollars. I don't know what was. Walking in this magnificent, you know, velvet couches and, um, you know, marble statues seven foot tall and, you know, flowers that uh, look like they came out of the Amazon, you know, bloody, um, you know, birds and shit flying around. It was just the most un- believable thing and we positioned ourselves on this sort of a corner where there was a couple of velvet couches you know fronting each other and Tanya sat down we all sat down then people AJ and Lord come in and blah, the world banker and and you know everyone's sort of flowing in and and, I, and at one stage there, we weren't there that long. I looked over at Tanya, my wife, and she had her hand cupped up against her chest. And I thought, what the hell is she doing? Is she holding some strange. chocolate or strange sort of position to be in to have you cupping your hand as if you've got something in it against your chest? And I go over for a closer inspection to see what's wrong because at this stage she's looking rather glum and perhaps a little um, white in complexion. And I noticed that she'd sort of a little tiny vomit into her hand. I'm thinking, Jesus, how unclassy is that? You know, we've come to this bloody party and uh, here's my wife sitting on the, this velvet couch that looks like it's worth about 10 grand, maybe 20 grand, who knows? And she's got a spew in her hand anyway. I'm thinking, what the hell is she going to do with that? I'm thinking, there's, there's no bin in sight. There's no bin in this place. And, and I was watching her and all of a sudden, she put it down between the cushion and the side arm of the couch. She thought, no one will see it there.
0: Disregarded the chunda yeah, in between, <laughs>
1: the couch. Just the old chunda straight between the cushion and the side arm, and and at the same time she did that. Rod Cutler, our host, had seen what had happened, and um, anyway he come over and he said, "Oh look, I think it's uh, probably uh, time for the tailors to go." You know, we I won't say we got kicked out, but um, you know we we got ushered ushered on. Let's put it that way. But to paint
0: the picture of Tanya, she's a very elegant, classy Classy. woman. This is very uncharacteristic. Um,
1: She is the classiest. Uh, most magnificent, beautiful lady of all time, and she looked as sexy as hell. She, and she
0: would hate that we're telling this story. And she would, she would, kill she us.
1: will be at home vomiting over this story now. <laughs> I can tell you. Yeah. But um, it, it's a story that had to be told because it was just such a fantastic night in amongst all these people. It just blew our minds. Yeah, it was
0: can, amazing. You can take our family anywhere, but out. Yeah. I think.
1: Back down into the limo, and off we went into the night. And uh, Rod's gone on to do uh, bigger and better things. He. Is simply the best hairdresser in the world.
0: Just to change gears a little bit, we're just going to
1: talk a little bit about footy um, and something. Uh, how happen- much on this show generally going forward? So we're going to be talking about footy every week. Yeah, yeah, past- yeah, we'll
0: keep it light and we'll yeah. keep it somewhat topical. But um, we'd love to hear your opinions. And maybe and an interview them.
1: from time to time. Are we yep. going to do that?
0: Yeah, we're going to do a, a – we'll call it a conversation rather than interview. Right. Just get some of your friends on and hear yep. about their story and right. do a bit of deep dive. But
1: So I'm not organizing – you're going to organize that. You told me I didn't have to worry about organizing a thing. I could well, just they're your mates,
0: so you're going to have to make the call and maybe I'll help after that. But Buddy Franklin retired.
1: Yes, he did last week. Uh, Buddy Franklin pulled his calf or strained his calf and has decided to give it away. I won't say I was surprised because I thought he was battling a little bit anyway, but I, I have been surprised that he hasn't come out and done a press conference. There's been no, virtually no word from Buddy other than the fact he's retiring. He hasn't done one of those big press conferences where the whole football world's media would gather and you know, ask him questions. That's one of the great things about Buddy. Yeah. It's not about him. It's- I haven't got a problem with that. That's If that's the way he feels, that's the way he feels. Because let's face it, the highlights do all the talking. And I think everyone has done many packages. All the networks have done Fox and Channel 7, 9, 10 and ABC have done all of the package on on this great man. That's all you need to say. Just look at his highlights. So fourth of all-time goals kicked. I think he played in six grand finals, 19 years. I think he played one extra year at Sydney, 10 at Sydney and 9 at Hawthorne. Three premierships, was it? Two with Hawthorne and maybe one with Sydney, I think, from memory as well. So this guy will be at some stage, and I don't think you can be inducted until at least five years after you retire. He'll be inducted into the Hall of Fame, of course, and he will also then assume uh, legend status, I I would imagine. Is he the greatest player that's ever played the game? I would say no. Uh, Don't want to put a damper on it, but just think back a few years in Sydney and you'll think back to the great Tony Lockett, who was just absolutely... Unbelievable. EJ, all of these fantastic players. But I think he'll sit very comfortably in the top half dozen of all time. There's no doubt about that. If you were picking a team of the century right now, would Buddy Franklin be in it? You bet he would. He played a similar position to Wayne Carey. Is he as good as Wayne Carey? I think they're probably similar. They both bring different aspects and skills to the game. Wayne was probably better overhead than Buddy was, but Buddy was probably better on the ground than Wayne was. Um, Wayne was probably tougher than Buddy. You know, the list, the comparisons go on and on and on. So oh, I just think he's one of the greatest players. He will assume all of those, uh, all of those spots in history that he deserves as being one of the greatest players of all time. Very proud that our nephew James, Ro- or my nephew James Robottom, your cousin, uh, got the opportunity to play with one of the greatest players of all time. Because I know what's that like. I played with Kevin Bartlett, Francis Burke Kevin Sheedy, those sort of players Kevin Bartlett, over 400 games One of the greatest players of all time And I know how treasured that is for me To think that I played with, with such greats So James would be absolutely tickled pink About playing with Buddy Franklin One of the greats And um, I'm not surprised to see him retire yeah. No, there, there was an interesting thing though, about two or three weeks ago, it was floated through the media and I suspect it came from his management. It was a little bit of like, any clubs out there interested for you know Buddy Franklin for next year? Remember that? A couple of weeks ago, there was this sort of media sort of thing that you know they were floating the idea, would Buddy go to another club axed by Sydney? And I don't think they got any takers. Um, 19 years is probably enough. Does he? Well,
0: is he someone who who will stay in Sydney? You think, in terms of living now?
1: Well, I think he's very happy up there with his with his wife and family and life. And I think he likes the um, anonymity. Is that how you say it? The, I don't know animinity. what that word was. Anyway, like he likes being that. anonymous. anonymous. Um, remember, I'm I'm a plumber. You forgot to say that I'm a plumber. I'm not a wordsmith. I think he likes being anonymous uh, in the world and I think Sydney suits that absolutely perfectly because they are in a bubble of their own up there. They are the weirdest bunch I've ever met, Sydney-siders.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, a champion of our game. I've been 27, all of the biggest moments that I've witnessed. So you
1: would think he's the best player you've ever seen?
0: Yeah, Yeah. one of. Him, like Gary Ablett, would be the best that I've seen. In It's subjective. But when, when I think back of the biggest moments in football, you know, Buddy has probably five of the top ten. You, you remember back, I'm a Collingwood supporter. You kicked that goal against Collingwood in, in the prelim yep. um, for Hawthorne, the 1,000 goals, that awesome goal running down the...
1: E- against Essendon.
0: Yeah, the, running down the Kyle wing Hooker. on the left foot. Yeah, the, just some of the biggest moments in footy. Buddies, buddies had a lot of them. So And that's
1: what I mean. That's why you didn't need to have a press conference. All you got to do is replay all of those, exactly. and, and that sums up the great buddy, Franklin. Yeah, beautiful. All right, Harrison, uh, I reckon it's just about time to wrap it up. By the way, we've... We have got a special guest interview next week. Who is it? Who have yep. you
0: organised? So I've got one of your good mates, Shane Jacobson, on next week. Well, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, it should be pretty good. I don't know what you're going to talk about. He's, um,
1: he, look- he is a man of many, many facets, whether he's an actor, or a producer, or a writer, you know, comedian you name it, ambassador, he has done it all. So look forward to that. Shane Jacobson, we'll have a chat with him next week. Don't forget, if you are in the building construction industry, get to Grimley's, look it up. It's very, very simple, simple, simplegrimleys.com.au. It's that easy. Go and find them. They are the leading suppliers to the construction industry here in Victoria. Get whatever you need. So that's about it for me. Are you going to wrap it up? Uh, Is this the first time you've ever done anything sort of Media sort of focus.
0: Yeah, this is my first time. Doing well, you a went podcast. okay. You went okay today. Did but my you've first got
1: a, ad read. You've got a lot of, uh, you've got a lot of improvement in you. Yeah, well, lucky. I've got a good coach. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Can't wait for next week. Shane Jacobson uh, to join us.